Please, would you keep that passage open, the most just read to us, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and you'll find it on page 1175, page 1175 in your Bibles. This is the second in our second half of going through the book of Ephesians, and uh, if you're in connect groups, you're studying this in connect groups. If you want to join a connect group, please do uh, have a look at the hub afterwards which is just through here, and it's got details about connect groups. Let's pray. Father, most of us live very busy lives, and we are so taken up with our jobs, our family, our recreation, so little time to think about life, about our life, about what it's all about, about where it's going, about where you fit in to our life. So Father, please, would you, as we engage with what you're saying to us through this part of the Bible, through your word, Please, would you make us open to your spirit who's here this morning, who inspired these words. And please, would you make us sensitive to what he's saying into our lives. And then responsive to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are some moments in life, aren't there, where you have what, what, what's called sometimes a light bulb moment. If you had one of those moments, suddenly you see life differently. Things change. Your perspective changes. It's just a light bulb moment. When somebody encounters Jesus Christ, that is the light bulb moment. See, Christianity is about an encounter with Jesus Christ. It's not just an encounter with facts. You notice what Paul says in Ephesians. He talks about when you heard the truth that's in Jesus. When somebody encounters Jesus, everything changes. You have a light bulb moment about life what your life is about, about what it should be about, about the kind of life that you've been living and the kind of life of the people who live around you and you start to see that in a completely different kind of way. And not only that, but you start to learn a new script for your life, a new way of living life. That's what Paul is talking about here. In verse 21, he says, When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. He's saying, you've had a light bulb moment. You've come to see life differently. And now the way that you assess the life that you used to live and the life that the people around you are living is very different from what it was. And Here in this section in Ephesians, Paul highlights five things that you discover when you come to Jesus about your life. 
the life that you used to live, and the life that is so common in the people around. And the first thing you discover is this, you are wasting your life. You are wasting your life. This precious life that God has given to you has been filled with all kinds of things, many of them good in themselves, family, friends, recreation, career, but it's been taken up with a pursuit of a life that in the end mounts up to a wasted life. Look at how Paul in verse 17 of chapter 4 describes how those around are living and the kind of life that these people used to live before. He talks about how they were living in the futility of their thinking. However fallen, however exhilarating life has been and is for the people around us, when we encounter Jesus Christ, we come to discover that that kind of life, a life, a life apart from Jesus, is a wasted life. Francis Chan, who's an American church leader, says in one of his books, it's not failure we should fear in life. It's succeeding at things that don't really matter. You come to see that the kind of world that we live in, the kind of society we're in, where we're told to live life in this particular way, and that's the way to achieve satisfaction and fulfillment, is to live a wasted life. That's the first thing you discover. Secondly, you come to discover that you've been living life in the dark. You thought you knew what was best for your life and you listened to the best people around and you followed their examples. And maybe you even looked at Christians and you thought, my goodness me, what miserable people they are. Look at the kind of lives they're living. Meanwhile, for me, I know what's best. I'm living in the light. This is how you live. What does Paul say in verse 18? You were darkened in your understanding. You were living in the dark. You were living a wasted life. You were living life in the dark. And you weren't really living at all. Because you see, the true source of life lies with God, who gives us life in Jesus Christ. And so if you are living your life apart from the life that comes to us in Jesus, then you don't have life. Life may be incredibly full. You may be busy running from one thing to another. You may have all kinds of experiences of life that are thoroughly engaging and exhilarating. You're excited about prospects for the future, maybe excited about your career or excited about your family or excited about your retirement or whatever it is. But if you're living a life apart from Jesus Christ, then you're living your life apart from life that's truly life. And so that's how Paul describes it in verse 18, separated from the life of God and therefore it wasn't really life. Living a wasted life, you are wasting your life. You were living a life in the dark, and you weren't really living at all. And in fact, it was getting worse. You were moving further and further away from that life. Verse 18, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that was in you, that's in them, due to the hardening of hearts. You know, 
the way that we live, what we do, the actions that we carry out affect us. How we think, what we do, is not independent of us. We are not unaffected by the kind of life that we live. And if we live a life that's a wasted life, that's life lived in the dark, that's life lived that's cut off from the source of true life, we get sucked more and more into a way of life that begins to eat its way into our hearts and affects our desires and begins to influence how we think about life and how we think about the world until we become, as Paul puts it, hardened. We can't see anything that would be attractive about anything that's much beyond the kind of life that we live. Our actions affect us. They harden us. And so this life seems to be the normal, right. And yet, and yet... It doesn't satisfy. However much you cram into your life, however much is poured into your life, it's never enough. You always want more, more excitement, more thrills, more love, more fulfillment, more of your career, more money, more, more. You achieve and for a moment you're satisfied, but then it doesn't last and there's a kind of drivenness wanting greater happiness, a greater sense of achievement, a greater sense of fulfillment in however much you pursue your dreams. And then those dreams sometimes are realized. You realize you have another dream. That dream that you've experienced isn't enough anymore. And there is a relentless push for more. That's the kind of life, that drivenness that Paul's talking about in verse 19. They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge every kind of impurity. And they're full of greed, which isn't primarily about a lust for money. It's about always greedy for more. More love. More sex. More money. More joy. More excitement. More sense of achievement. A wasted life, a life lived in the dark. A life that's not really life at all. It's on a trajectory that isn't leading anywhere good. And in the end, it doesn't work. It doesn't satisfy us. And then you encounter Jesus Christ and you begin to see, <laughs> it's like the emperor with no clothes. You remember the story of the emperor with no clothes? He's persuaded that these new clothes are so light and airy that he won't even feel them. And he walks down the street in his new clothes and he is stark naked. And when we encounter Jesus Christ, we begin to see that that life that seems so attractive and so fulfilling that's so much the life of the people around us. We begin to see that it's a naked life. The emperor has no clothes. And then we start to live a new script as we learn that new script for our life. And what's that new script? 
What's the new script? It's this. It is to play our part in a resistance movement. That's the script. Because you see, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you've become a part of what Paul calls the body of Christ or the church. He uses both those terms. You become part of this new community, and this community is a community of resistance. The church is a resistance movement. And working out the script of our life means living out what it means to be part of that movement. Isn't that fantastic? So many people think of the church as being institutionalized, as conservative, as reactionary. The church of Jesus Christ is meant to be a resistance movement. Look at what Paul says in verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. That's a call to resistance, isn't it? No longer. It's not a call to passivity. It's a call to action that is both negative and positive. There is a resistance. We will not live like that anymore. And positive We will do this. He uses the language of putting off and putting on. This morning I got out of bed and I put on some clothes. I wasn't persuaded by the story of the emperor's new clothes. And most of you here are probably profoundly grateful. Not least my wife. A putting on. But there's also a taking off. I took off the clothes that I was in in bed. Too much information. (laughs) And that's the language that Paul uses here in verse 22. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You say no to living that kind of life that you used to live because you've seen how empty and futile and destructive it is. But you're saying yes to a different kind of life. Put on, verse 24, the new self created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. The church is a resistance community. It's a resistance community because it says no. But it's also a resistance community because it says yes. I want us to have a look are four things that Paul says here about the kind of community that's to characterize us if we're a community of resistance. Number one, we're a community of love. We're a community of love. That means that we care more about people than we care about things. We care more about others than we care about ourselves. That we are devoted to one another in Love. If you lived in the first century, there were some people who would be really key if you were going to get on. 
You would need a patron. And so what you would do is you would sidle up to the patron and you'd get alongside them. You'd, you'd try very hard to get introduced to them. And when you did, then you'd butter them up, as we say. You'd tell them how wonderful they were. But you'd also raise yourself up. You'd talk yourself up. Play up the good things. Why it would be such a benefit to them to have you as one of their clients. And you play down the bad things. In other words, you were treating people as people to be used for your advantage. Paul says, we won't do that. We don't use people. Verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. He's talking about the church here. He's talking about the community of Jesus Christ, this community of resistance. We don't use people. We tell the truth. We treat people with integrity, and we don't hold grudges either. Verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. You know, there are times in churches when people get angry with each other. Really, honestly, let's, let's, let's just face up to this. I know we try to cover this up. We like to think that because this is church, we never fall out with one another. That's not true. And sometimes we're angry with people for good reasons. There are reasons sometimes to be angry. What Paul is saying here is, if you're angry with somebody, deal with it. Don't let the sun go down. In other words, don't harbor a grudge. I've come across over the time I've been in ministry, paid ministry, full-time ministry. Terrible phrase, isn't it? Anyway, you know what I mean. I've come across people from time to time and they've had a disagreement with somebody else. Something has happened in a relationship with somebody else in the church. And sometimes for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, they've not dealt with it. And the way that they handle it is simply to avoid the other person. That should not happen. Paul says, we're a community of love. We have all kinds of ways of avoiding the issues at times. Don't hang on to it. Don't give the devil a foothold. It is profoundly destructive to harbor grudges against people. If you've got an issue with somebody, deal with it. And notice, by the way, that love demonstrates itself in action. Anyone, verse 28, who's been stealing must steal no longer. You're saying, I'm so pleased that we live in Willoughby, aren't you? Because we don't steal in Willoughby. So we can pat ourselves on the back and say how marvelous we are because we're not like them. We are not to congratulate ourselves because we're not Roman citizens or even Greek citizens living in Ephesus. We need to ask, how does that principle apply now? And what I want you to notice is going on here. He's saying you mustn't exploit people. Instead, actually, what you should be doing is working so that you can bless them. They will benefit from your work. 
You're not just working for yourself and for your family. You are working so that, Paul says, you will be a benefit to other people. Because you're concerned about them. Because a community of resistance is a community of love. Secondly, we're a community of the second chance. We keep forgiving. We keep forgiving. There's always the second chance. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another. And our role model is Jesus. Look at how he goes on. Follow God, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And that means there's always a second chance. So when people have had the second chance, there's still a second chance. Have you got that? The second chance is always there because that's how God forgave you and me, isn't it? If it was just a case of he forgives us and then there's a second chance and then it's nothing, we are, to use a George Bushism, in deep doo-doo. There's always the second chance. There's always forgiveness. There's always compassion with God, and that's how we're to treat one another. And sometimes that will be really costly. It's not always easy to forgive. It will cost us to forgive sometimes. But then again, our example is Jesus, isn't it? Of how God has worked in Jesus. Into chapter 5, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering. Forgiveness can be costly. We're a community of love. We're a community of the second chance. We're, thirdly, we're a community of purity. Community of purity. Um, you know that as Christians we don't have a private life. Did you know that? Christians do not have a private life. I don't mean that we have to tell everybody everything. I simply mean that when you're a Christian, the private, as we call it, life, what goes on in your home, what goes on in your relationships, what goes on in the way that you handle money? What goes on in the way that you handle sex and sexual relationships in every area of life matters? A Christian should never say, well, that's personal, that's just for me. That's just between me and God. There is no private, personal sphere that should be separate from the way that we live our lives in full view of everybody else. There is to be a consistency and purity matters. How we are with our friends, our sexual life, how we handle money and possessions. Paul gives two areas in particular to address. The first one seems trivial and the second one Sounds, well, that's private. I don't want you to go there. Because the first one's about speech. 
That doesn't sound very important, does it? Look at what he says, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Or verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And then into chapter 5 and verse 4. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. I um, sit in my favorite coffee shop from time to time and I listen to myself talking sometimes. I, usually there's somebody else there at the time. Um, <laughs> in case you wondered. And then I listen to other people's conversations and I know that you have to talk about kitchen appliances and I know you have to talk about cleaning the house, and I know you have to talk about the holiday and all those kinds of things. But I'm sometimes struck by how trivial our conversations actually are. And it's true sometimes for us as Christians, isn't it? We will talk to one another about anything and everything. But how often do we talk to people about Jesus? How often do we encourage one another, build one another up? How often, sometimes for some of us, we want to appear to be funny, or we want to put other people down so it makes us look good in front of other people. Words matter. Even words matter, because words are not just words. They are to be used, as Paul puts it, for building one another up. So conversation, purity in conversation, and purity in lifestyle. Chapter 5 and verse 3. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint. Or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Purity matters. It matters for the individual because those kinds of behaviors are really destructive. Look at chapter 5 and verse 5. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, don't be partners with them. That's what you were. Don't join in with them. Verse 8, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. We damage ourselves when we aren't pure. But that's not Paul's main concern. His main concern is what we're modeling to each other. You see, we're part of the body of Christ. We're part of this community of resistance and sometimes it's really hard to live out what it means to be a Christian and people start to slip. And they need to see models 
of what it means to be a godly mother or a godly father or a godly friend or to have a godly relationship with somebody of the opposite sex or how to deal with our sexuality or how to handle our money because in seeing that we encourage those who may be struggling and we expose the areas where they may need to make changes Verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. He's not talking about exposing them out there amongst the Gentiles. He's talking about us. How we live our life in every area, is, it matters. A community of love, community of the second chance, community of purity, and lastly, a community of wisdom. Verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It's very easy to waste your life, really easy. Why? Well, because as Paul says, the the days are evil. It's really easy. Even for a follower of Jesus Christ to begin to drift and to waste their life. And what matters is to live wisely. Paul gives here an example of living unwisely. There it is in verse 18. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. There's an example of unwise living, the person who's constantly drunk. Under the influence of alcohol, that's a sign of a lack of wisdom in life. Instead, we should discern what the Lord's will is. We need understanding, and I want you to notice that there's a link between the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Therefore, do not, verse 17, be foolish, but understand what the the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Have your life lived under the influence of the Spirit and live wisely. Paul goes on to talk about the communal side of this. Notice how he goes on speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it may well be said that Paul is saying this. When we make a choice to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ and to encourage them, as we meet together, as we sing notice to one another, as we praise God, because the Holy Spirit is at work, He begins to work in us individually as well as corporately. In other words, the filling of the Spirit is something that happens when the community of God's people are seeking to encourage and build one another up. We begin to get a new perspective on each other, a new desire to build one another up, a new desire to live wisely. What's the script for your life? It is to play your part as part of a community of resistance that's called the church, which is to be a community of love, a community of forgiveness, that is a community of the second chance. Thirdly, a community of purity, and fourthly, 
a community of wisdom. People should be able to look at our community and see how it's demonstrated and experienced love, forgiveness. See purity of life demonstrated. And people who are living wisely because they're filled with the Spirit. You know, it takes a community to build a community. It takes everybody playing their part. That's what we saw last week, each member playing their part. It takes a community to build a community. It takes a whole life commitment. No private sphere. Just open in every area of life to being filled with the Spirit. And it requires a work of the Spirit to be filled with the Spirit. If you're not part of the resistance movement that is the Church of Jesus Christ, then the invitation is to join, to give your life to Jesus, to discover a life that's worthwhile, that's filled with purpose and meaning and direction. Join the resistance. And if you're already in the resistance movement, let's each of us do it more and more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you call us to. And Father, we pray that we might truly be in this world a community of resistance, saying no, but also being subversive because we say yes to love and forgiveness, and purity, and living wisely as we discern your purposes for us. And may we do that together. In Jesus' name, amen.